0: Turn, if you would, to the 12th chapter of the Book of Romans. We are continuing to work our way through the Book of Romans. We've spent the last uh, five weeks in Chapter 12. We started out with uh, present your bodies a living sacrifice and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The next lesson was about... uh, Not thinking too highly of ourselves, but rather recognizing that we need each other. We are the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, God has given us collectively gifts that allow us to do the work that he has given us to do. He hasn't given you everything. He has given us everything. We are the body of Christ. And then starting somewhere in about verse 9, we've been working our way through a series of commands. Oftentimes people group them all together under the very first one, which is let your love be genuine. Let your love be without hypocrisy. And the idea is that most of the rest of these can be demonstrated as a method of showing people that our love is without hypocrisy. So we've been working our way through this, and I uh, kind of hope to finish the list today. I know that there are those who don't want me to finish the list today because next week is a holiday weekend, and there'll be fewer people here, and I was hoping I could get the political discussion out of the way when nobody was here. (laughs) That's what Chapter 13 is about. We'll see how we do. Just picking up in verse 14, this is where we were last week, and uh, we'll get a running start into today's lesson. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That's where we ended up last week. Those who are persecuting you, bless them. Don't curse them. Now, there's a simple observation that has to be true for that verse to be true. And that is that there are people that are persecuting you. There are people who are opposing what you're doing. And much of today's lesson is going to be dealing with dealing with those people. How to handle those people who are persecuting you, who are causing problems, and what you ought to do about it. That's in just a moment. And then we talked about... Rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. And we discuss that sometimes there's a problem because if somebody gets something really good, a coworker gets the promotion, the somebody else's grandchild does something that your grandchild doesn't, all of a sudden jealousy sets in and instead of rejoicing, we're going, why did that happen to them and not me? And sometimes the difficulty is with just rejoicing in the good of others. And obviously when bad times come to other people, our natural tendency is to be like Job's friends and come alongside and go, let me tell you what you did wrong. Let me tell you what caused that problem. And you know what? There may be things that caused that problem. There, there, There might be sin. There might be something in their life that caused it but that's not the time to share that pearl of wisdom. (laughs) We are to rejoice with those who rejoice. And we are to weep with those who weep. So, we pick up today's lesson in verse uh, 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Live in harmony with one another. Question. What does it mean to live in harmony with somebody? You know, we could get Patty to go over to the piano and play the melody of a song. One note, here it is. And it would be good. We collectively could sing that one note, and it might be good. We would have some good volume, we'd sing well, and it's one note. But we know, musically... The beauty comes when different notes are put together in such a way that individually they may sound odd. I mean, there's tenor lines that if you just played the tenor line, you'd think, what is this song? And don't get me started on bass lines. They just kind of sit down there and bang away at a note, right? (laughs) I watched a YouTube video of a cello player who hated Pachelbel's Canon. He said, have you ever listened to the cello part of Pachelbel's Canon? Over and over again, forever. (laughs) Individually, it might not make much sense. But collectively, you put them together and you have harmony. You have different notes being played together and you come up with a beautiful, beautiful song. I had a friend. He was an older friend, and this was a long time ago. He had gone to Scotland and had gone to a soccer match. At the halftime of the sc- soccer match, they sang hymns, a six-part harmony. He said it was magnificent. And these are soccer fans. What does it mean for you and me and the Baptist down the street and the Methodist down the street and the Catholic down the street and the. How far do we go? What does it take to live in harmony with one another and what does it look like if we do live in harmony? I think the easiest way of looking at it, or one way of looking at it, is to look at the opposite. What does it mean when we live in disharmony? Now, we could have a discussion here about marriage. We could have a discussion about families. We could have a discussion about countries. Don't get me started. That's the lesson in a week or two. But what does it mean For us as a church body to live in harmony with each other. And how do we demonstrate it when we live in disharmony? Disharmony is me sitting down at the piano and trying to bang out a tune. (laughs) Disharmony is me and three of y'all randomly chosen sitting down at a piano trying to bang out a tune. It isn't going to work. Why? Because we're all doing our own thing. What is the basis of harmony? We collectively being conformed to the image of Christ. What did we talk about three weeks ago? Let no one think more highly of themselves than they ought I'm the piano player. You're the cello player. You're the tuba player. You're the violin player. Which one of us is most important to the music? Well, obviously I am. I've got all these keys to bang away on the piano. I'm obviously the most important. The rest of you need to follow my lead. You need to shut up and just do what I tell you to do. We would never do that in church, would we? (laughs) To be quite honest, I don't believe we do that in our church. I believe that we have harmonious relationships. But you read about churches every day who are splitting over a variety of different things. Everything from doctrinal differences down to the color of the carpet. I've told the story here before from Chuck Colson's book, The Body. I'll give you a hint. The chapter is titled The Right Fist of Christian Fellowship. (laughs) And to make a long story short, the service ended with a fist fight between the pastor and the deacons on Sunday morning in the middle of the church service. (laughs) And they were dragged before the Jewish judge who said, your church may allow this, but the state doesn't. What is it that causes disharmony? Different people trying to play their own tune without an understanding of the body of Christ. Harmony only comes when each of us are seeking the will of Christ and seeking to be conformed to the image of his Son. It does not mean that we're all the same. It does not mean that... That every note has to be the same note or you're wrong. Harmony comes when the differences come together to present beautiful music. Harmony comes when you use your gift, I use my gift, and collectively we present to the world the body of Christ. We are to be in harmony with one another. What kills harmony? Me. Me. Mine. My way. This is the only way it can be done. My note is the only note that matters. And I'm going to fight you to the death until you agree with me. And that produces disharmony. The command is, be at harmony with each other. What stops us from doing that? Pride. Which leads us to the next one. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not be haughty. Go ahead. Tell me what haughty means. Look your grandkid in the face. Turn to me and tell me what haughty means. Go ahead. Proud. Somebody else. At its root, it's pride. But it's a blatant display looking you in the eye and just saying, to heck with you. Snobby. Snobby. Pardon? Arrogance. 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 Anybody know somebody that's haughty? Don't raise your hand. We're not going there. That's not for two more weeks. Associate with the lowly. Let's look at these two together. Now, it's interesting to me when we talk about the lowly, sometimes it just, you know, turns us the wrong way to even mention the word. You know, we have this idea that we live in a classless society. We don't. We have this idea that to call someone lowly would be an insult to them, and it probably would be. But the reality is that there are those who are more in trouble, either through fault of their own, through the society we have, You can get into a long political, socioeconomic discussion. That's not what we're here for. Educationally, there are people who are more or less educated. Financially, there are people who are more or less financially secure. We can look at whatever category you want, and there are people that are above you, and there are people that are below you. It's just a fact. There are subjects that I know better than you. There are subjects that you know better than me. There are people who have more money than me. There are people that have less money than me. There are people who have needs that I can meet. There are people who have needs that I cannot meet. We had this discussion several weeks ago talking about the body of Christ. God gives us stuff to meet our needs. He gives us more stuff so that we can help others by meeting their needs. There are those who are beneath us in some category. But here's the observation. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, male or female, fill in your other categories. Economic status means nothing at the foot of the cross. You ready for this? Economic status means nothing at the foot of the cross. Intellectual capability means nothing at the foot of the cross. Go back and read Romans chapter 3. There are none who seek after God. There are none who do what is right. There are none who are right before God on their own. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how smart you are, how much education, how much power, how much influence. We are all sinners before a holy God. Now, There's all kinds of discussion in the scripture that you use what God has given you, whatever it is, to accomplish his purposes. Okay? It's not wrong, but we are not to look down on those who for some reason are socioeconomically below us in the pecking order. I read a fascinating story. Uh, yesterday that I'd never read before in the days of the early church a very wealthy Roman became a believer and he shows up for the church service and the church elder tells him go sit over there to which the wealthy Roman convert says I can't do that that would mean sitting next to my slave and the elder said go sit over there no I cannot do that And the elder said, go sit over there. And he went and sat over there next to his slave. Why? Because at the foot of the cross, there is no slave and free, rich or poor, black or white. There is the body of Christ. Now, question. In what ways... In what ways do we refuse, do we have difficulty associating with the lowly? Let's face it. We like hanging around with people just like me. Or better. Not too much better because then I get envious. (laughs) But a little bit, right? I love the story that I read. A guy was, and I like it because he told it on himself. He had, I think it was, seven college degrees, a couple of undergraduates, a couple of master's degrees, a Ph.D. He said, I was so well-educated, and he said, a plumber came over to my house to work on something. I couldn't talk to him. I literally did not know how to talk to this average person. C.S. Lewis said that all seminary students should be required to go down to the dock where the ships are and explain Christian theology to the dock workers. And if they couldn't do it, they shouldn't get their degree. (laughs) Why? Because C.S. Lewis also said that he sits in a church service sitting behind the cobbler, the shoemaker, who has no intellectual training at all. And C.S. Lewis says, I recognize that spiritually I'm not fit to clean his shoes. We as a body judge people like the world judges people not like God judges people. We as a body have a tendency to judge people by the same standards that we see the world judging people money power influence celebrity status fill in the blank the observation is this when the poor person comes to church you welcome the poor person in the same way that you would welcome the local celebrity the local millionaire Who walks through the door. Not only that. The observation probably is stronger. That we should work. At associating. With those. Who are beneath us. It's interesting. It doesn't say. You know. Don't be afraid to associate with those above you. Why? Because he knows that that's a natural tendency. We all like hanging around. With the caveat that I gave a while ago. Don't be too proud to associate with the lowly. Now let's back up. What does it mean to be haughty? It means that you refuse to associate with those that God has brought into your path because of some characteristic in them that you don't approve of. And that is wrong. That is sin. Why do we associate with the lowly? The same reason we associate with anybody. Because either A, they are in need of the gospel just like everyone else is, or B, they have something to teach us about the gospel that we need to hear. Sometimes the gospel sounds different to someone with a full stomach versus someone who doesn't someone who prays give us this day our daily bread and he really means give us this day our daily bread you don't have six weeks worth of food in your pantry maybe we need to learn from the believers what it means to depend upon God but wait they're not as smart as I am you're not as smart as you think you are they're not as wealthy as I am So what? Give them some of your money. They don't look like I do. So what? You're judging people by the world's standards and not by God's. Our haughty spirit looks down on people and says, I'm not going to associate with you because of some arbitrary socio economic, political, racial, fill-in-the-blank, dot, 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 standard that is anathema to the teachings of Christ. Live in harmony with everyone. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own eyes. What does it mean to be wise in your own eyes? Come on. Some of you are wise in your own eyes. You should be able to tell me what it is. Oh, wait. Think, that <laughs> think you know what you're talking about when you really don't. Close-minded. Close-minded. There are brilliant people who are totally wrong. There are brilliant people who are right. There are not very bright people who are wrong. There are not very bright people who are right. Does that mean that intelligence is not important? Intelligence is very important. God has given us minds. God expects us to use them. He has given some people more mental capability. That's good. That's good. The question is not intellectual capability in and of itself. I mean, let's go back to verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. What does it mean to renew your mind? It means instead of taking the world and its ideas and its views as your starting point, we take the word of God as the starting point and we use our minds That God has given us and we move from here to what God would have us to do. I can drop you in the middle of a huge city and I can give you a map of a totally different city and it won't help you at all. Why? It's the wrong map. If you start in the wrong place you're going to end up in the wrong place. There was an author who said he was in uh, Moscow, I guess, when it was still part of the Soviet, when, it was, when Russia was still the Soviet Union. And he said, I was lost. He said, I had a map in front of me. And on this map were landmarks, etc. I should have been able to find my way around. Right in front of me was a huge map. Church and it wasn't on my map. So I finally asked a policeman, Why isn't that church on my map? There's other churches on that map. Why isn't that one? And the guy said, Oh, that's a living church. We don't put those on the map. There were dead churches that you put on the map because they're just tourist sites. But they weren't going to put a church that was actually active on the map because that might encourage people to what? Go to church. The map only reflected what the people wanted it to reflect. If you enter the academic world today, the odds are that the person teaching you is a naturalist. What does that mean? The material world is all that exists. If I can't touch it, if I can't measure it, it does not exist. Now, from that starting point, where can I go? I can go a lot of places. I can use my brain power and I can get to everywhere. You will never get to the things of God. I will be wise in my own eyes. To be wise in your own eyes is to begin with you. And go from there. To be wise in God's eyes is to begin with God and his word and move outward from that. There are those who want you to believe one is intellectually correct and one isn't. Both of them can use the faculties of your mind. You're just starting at a different place. Where do we start? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the book of Proverbs tells us, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the book of Proverbs tells us. What does it mean to be wise in the eyes of God? Go read the book of Proverbs. Go read it, and then read it again, and then read it some more. And you will learn what it means to be wise in the eyes of God. In one sense, that is the essence of not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind, continually seeing the world through God's eyes and not through your own. Wow, that's hard to do. Yeah, it is. It's hard to do because it's very counter to what the world around us is doing right now and continually. Huh. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Repay no one evil for evil. Hmm. What does that mean? Somebody pokes you and you poke them back. Why do we do that? It feels good. It feels right. It's justice. Somebody pokes you, you poke them back harder. What's wrong with that? It's not what Christ did. And they're all leaving. We can talk about them now. People do things to us. They can be little things, cut us off in traffic. Some slight where they don't give us the recognition that we think we deserve. And it may be evil. Now, I want to stop right here, though, and give a little bit of an out before we move on to the evil. Sometimes what we perceive as being evil from other people is simply the fact that we think we're the center of the universe and we think everybody's thinking about us and when they do something that is counter to what we want them to do to us, we obviously think they're doing it on purpose. But in reality, they didn't give us a moment's thought. Okay? The line that I use all the time, and I use this at work, I use this with people in different situations when you're at a football game and you're in the stands and the people gather in a huddle do you think they're thinking about you (laughs) they're not sometimes what we view as evil against us is simply people doing their own thing and that really irritates us but it's not evil necessarily. But there are people who are doing evil against us. They're lying to us, they're trying to cheat us, they're trying to manipulate us, they're persecuting us for our beliefs. They have no good intent. They have no good desire toward us. They are doing evil toward us. And our righteous indignation isn't that a wonderful word? Our righteous indignation flares up and we're going to let them have it. You do it to me I'm going to do it back to you. You do something bad I'm going to do it worse. Why? Because if we don't do that they'll feel like they've gotten away with it. And that would be bad right? Now I'm going to throw in another caveat at this point. There is evil in the world that has to be restrained. And we're going to do that in chapter 13. The purpose of government is to restrain evil. And we'll have a long discussion about what happens when they do and they don't. That's next week or two weeks lesson. There is a time when evil is to be restrained. But what we're talking about here is the person who walks up and slaps you verbally, emotionally, physically. And the scripture tells us very clearly, turn the other cheek. Why would we do that? What's the motivation behind doing that? Well there's this simple one That's what Christ did And we Are striving To be conformed To the image Of Christ Go read about Christ He wasn't a weakling (laughs) He worked for a living Yet He knew what God Wanted him to do And he went down that path. Hmm. More about this in just a moment. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. What is honorable in the sight of all? More in just a second. If possible, here's the verse that was quoted during the prayer time, and here's the verse that is one of my favorite verses. If possible, So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Goal number one, live at peace with those around you. This is believers, unbelievers, pagans, you name it, live at peace with everyone. If Christ came to you and said, live at peace with everyone, you'd go, okay, I'll try But that's an impossible standard because there are people who don't want to live at peace with you. Let's just face it. They have no intention of living at peace with you. So God, through Paul, gives us the very logical and very realistic presentation that says as much as it is possible As much as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. Question. How much do we work at living at peace with everyone versus we try for about mm, 20 seconds, then we give up, fall into this verse, and say, I tried, now I'm going to punch their lights out. (laughs) That's what we do, right? What hinders us from living at peace with other people? And at this point, we have broadened the discussion. We have broadened the discussion to believers, unbelievers, pagans, everyone we come in contact. What is it that prevents us from living at peace? Hmm? Pride? Me, me, me? But there are legitimate things that keep us from living at peace. We serve a different God. Let's face it. We serve a different God. Now, we as believers sometimes fall into the trap of worshiping the God of this world. That's why we're told in verse 1 and 2, don't be conformed to the image of this world. We fall into that trap, but the reality is we worship a different God. There are legitimate reasons why we're not at peace, but at the same time, often we are not at peace because we like poking people in the eye. I see this all the time, all the time. You're writing an email to someone, and you know, the words can be just a little more inflammatory, ha ha ha, a little more pointed, ha ha ha. And we start. Jabbing them Every chance we get We're not going to talk about politics But you listen to a lot of political rhetoric And that's what it is It's poking people in the eye And you know what I understand that It always has been that way In political races You go read some of the political races In the early 1800s Late 1700s They were poking people in the eye. What is different is that when we become convinced that that's legitimate discourse when we're dealing with family and friends and co-workers and acquaintances and neighbors and people we meet randomly throughout our day, we begin to think that's normal behavior. We tell our mentoring couples, when we do marriage mentoring, tone all the language down. I used to laugh, my sisters, when we were little. I'm freezing. I'm burning up. Why can't you be a little bit warm or a little bit cool? No, I'm freezing. (laughs) That's the way our language is. Somebody does something I don't like. I hate you. We become like children. You may have done something I didn't like, but so what? Our rhetoric, our words, inflame passions that should not be inflamed. That's why there are so many scriptures about controlling your tongue, because our tongue our tongue stirs up strife. We can have weeks and weeks of lessons talking about what we can do to live at peace with those around us. My belief, looking at my life, is that I can do a lot more before I get to the point where I've done everything. We are not to compromise our faith. We are not to compromise our beliefs and the Word of God. There are certain things that we're not going to do just to live at peace with those around us. All Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to do was bow the knee to the golden idol, and there wouldn't have been any trouble. Simple, nobody would have cared, nobody would have looked. Over with, off they'd go. They said, can't do it. We want to live at peace, but we cannot do that. There will come a time when you will reach the point where you cannot do what is required, supposedly, to live at peace with one group of people. But, comma, as much as is possible. As much as it is up to, to you, live at peace with everyone. That involves your spouse, your children, your co-workers, your neighbors, your bridge partners. Why don't we do that? Because we value being right more than we value the relationship Let me give you a little hint. Poking people in the eye, verbally or physically, is never going to lead anyone to Christ. I I just don't think it's going to. Doing that which is immoral is not going to do it either. There is a limit. That is the point. There is a limit But you and I rarely meet that limit. (sighs) Think today. Who is it specifically? Don't tell me. I don't care. In your life, specifically, who is it that you are not living in harmony with? If that person is a believer, it's a sin right there. Okay? After that, you have to ask yourself, why am I not living in harmony with this person? What is it that I have done, what is it that I can do to restore the harmonious relationship? This is hard. You read stories about siblings who have not associated with each other for 50 years, and you go, why? Well, there was a problem. It may have been a legitimate problem. Repent of your part try to make the relationship right will it always work no is it sad that it doesn't yes it is very sad but as much as it is possible as much as it depends on you live in harmony with each other let's back up a little bit Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable hmm, in the sight of all. It's an interesting phrase. And it's stuck here between not repaying evil for evil and as much as it is possible, live in harmony with everyone. In the middle of it, it gives this statement Do what is honorable in the sight of all. That's interesting because it implies that we are to care what people think about our actions. Hmm. We are to think about what is the honorable thing to do in this particular situation at this particular point in time. What will appear to be honorable to those around me? Now, I know what you're thinking, because my mind thinks the same way. We immediately jump to the, well, what if they tell me to do something wrong? Don't do it. That's pretty simple. What if they think it's honorable for me to bow the knee to the golden image? Don't do it. We know about that problem. It's everything in between. Somebody pokes me in the eye, I poke them back. (laughs) Evil for evil. That's great. But it's not honorable. What does it mean to do what is honorable? It is interesting when you're looking in the scripture at the uh, requirements for a deacon or an elder. And today we are voting on deacons and elders. When you look at the requirements, stuck in there is has a good reputation inside and outside the community. I am convinced, social media is working very hard at proving this wrong, but I am convinced that if you go to your pagan neighbor and help them with some need that they have, they will view that as honorable. When we, the Christian community, meets the needs of the Christian community and the broader community, there are those in the outside world who recognize that that is honorable. That is a good thing in the sight of all. Now, is everybody going to view it? No. No. Remember the other one we just dealt with, right? As much as is possible. We need to be looking at situations and going, what is the right and honorable thing to do in this situation and go do it? And the world will look and go, hmm. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were acknowledged leaders in their community and they were living in the midst of a pagan culture. Why? Because they had wisdom. I suspect they worked real hard. I suspect they did what was good for the community in which they lived. And they didn't poke people in the eye and they didn't return evil for evil. Huh. Do what is honorable in the sight of all. It is interesting because we are in an age where the society may ask you to do something that violates the word of God. And at that point, you cannot do it. But I do believe that when you reach that point and the world knows that you really are attempting to love, show honor, respect to the community it will be different than if you just poked them in the eye. It's fascinating. At the end of the Beatitudes, when it said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, and there's this little caveat, you know, if you're being persecuted because you do something wrong, there's no brownie points there. That's a loose translation. (laughs) We run up and poke our pagan neighbor in the eye and then they rebel against us and we say, ha, I'm being persecuted. No, you're a jerk. (laughs) Don't do that. When we are striving to meet the needs of the community within the body and outside the body, society will go, hmm, will it always work? No. It will not always work. That's what it says, as much as is possible. Go ahead, Lee. You're dying to ask something. <laughs> First, instance, five, Which says, says uh, I'll, I'll here. I'm writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the, number, the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or uh, mm-hmm. so and so on. not even to eat with such a one. Right? And then it says, purge the evil person from among you. We as a church are called to exercise church discipline. Okay, it's very biblical. Somebody has something against you, you go to them one-on-one. If that doesn't work, you take a brother with you, you talk to them. If that doesn't work, you go to the elders, the body addresses it. That's called church discipline. And at the end of it, if they are wrong and unrepentant, you remove them from the community. That doesn't sound very loving. But biblically, it is loving. You are not doing this because you hate this person. You're doing it because you want to bring them to repentance. And if I let you continue in a lifestyle that is contrary to your stated belief. We're only dealing with believers here. Pagans act like pagans and we shouldn't be surprised at it. But when we as believers act like pagans, it is the loving response of the community that says you need to repent. Or... We will treat you as a pagan until you do. The end result of the process is not banishment. The end desire is repentance. That's what we're after. That is the responsibility of the community of believers. Now, the pagans are different. You expect pagans to be pagans. You invite the pagan over for dinner, do whatever you want to do. You interact with them every day, but, but you don't fellowship with them as you would with a believer because you're recognizing there is a difference. <sighs> and we are out of time. You know, I actually thought I was going to make it through this list in one week, and now I've done three. Why? Because it's horribly convicting to me. These aren't hard things. Well, maybe they're real hard things. They're not hard things to understand. They're hard things to do because we want to do something else. We really do like being conformed to the world instead of being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Our love is to be genuine. Without hypocrisy, we are to Not be proudful. We are not to be haughty. We are to be willing to associate with whomever God brings around us. Whoever God brings, he brought for a purpose. Yes, Paul. (laughs) Yeah. I made a mistake. Yeah. Yeah right (laughs) you made a mistake (laughs) that was my point earlier just tone down your language and that's half the battle you don't have to anyway you know what we're talking about let's close in prayer dear heavenly father thank you for the word that you have given us i pray lord that we would desire to live at peace with all those around us. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength and the courage to do so. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.